0: Good morning again. Seeing a full house here at the end of January—it's uh, kind of hard to believe—but starting, I guess the next time we see each other, if you come on Wednesday, will be in February. So uh, this uh, this first month has gone by quickly, and we are moving into a new month coming up. I hope the first month the Lord has done a good work in your life. Uh, it's good to see those of you that are visiting with us today. Thank you for coming if you're uh, joining online, and we've had quite a few people that have actually visited us online. Uh, I think I met someone recently who said, yeah, i watched like six weeks before I ever visited here, so if you're visiting online, we're glad to have you as well, but good to have all of us here, and I did not know until this morning, Dr. Russ is that romantic, so now I know that. Uh, every day's Valentine's Day. I can't even say that, you know. Like cards every day, Jackie. Like chocolate all the time. I thought he's splitting wood and shooting his gun and all that stuff that he does uh, out there in the property. That, uh, but romantic. Okay, all right. We have a marriage retreat coming up. We'll put y'all in that. Uh, we have a breakout group that we'll uh, have you do. So, uh, but good, good to hear. Hope the rest of you guys are as romantic um, on the 14th as Dr. Russ is. So, uh, but. Um, Good to be here. Um, a couple of, uh, we were supposed to have an announcement this morning with um, uh, concerning our children's ministry. I mentioned that that we'd have that today. However, I got a text yesterday that some of the people involved in that announcement aren't feeling well and are at home sick. So we can't do it today. So uh, and some of that relates to people and some of it relates to property and projects relating to the modular. So uh, that will defer to two days before Dr. Russ's romantic day on the Valley. That's the 12th, uh, the 12th of February, which is Sunday, February the 12th. And we'll have that announcement. We want to uh, just kind of share some good news about what God's doing in the children's ministry, some of the people involved, some of the projects we've got. Uh, and I think that you'll be excited to see what, what we've got planned for out there with the kids. So we'll do that on the 12th, and hopefully the families involved, they get, get well. I know there's people at home with flu, there's people with COVID, all these other things that keep, uh, uh, keep kind of coming around. So we'll do that on the 12th instead of today. Uh, as Dr. Russ had mentioned, so this uh, Wednesday, we'll, we'll kind of have the food brought in around six. We'll probably pray and open up the pizza boxes and the salad and, you know, we finally decided not to just do pizza, we're giving you salad too, you know, not just pizza. <laughs> Uh, and it all happened is one time I brought a salad and someone says, we have salad night? And I said, no, I brought my own, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I said, we will not do that again. We will make sure we have salad and uh, we will have some amazing varieties like Italian and ranch uh, to go with it and, um, and uh, some dessert as well. So that'll be uh, this uh, Wednesday. We'll probably open up the box at 6.15. We are going to play the video promptly at 6.45. Uh, I had a chance to see the video, uh, we can't, we don't have rights to stream it live, uh, but I got a chance to see it. It's so only 30 minutes. My wife and I were uh, with uh, about 12 other Calvary Chapel pastors and their wives in Lynchburg. We watched it together, we discussed it together, and, and many of us have been teaching the Word for years and we got insights from this man uh, who, had, his family moved to Israel. They were Jewish. Uh, when he was a child, he grew up in the Bedouin tribes, uh, or, or around the Bedouin tribes. Um, in the desert and how uh, the Bedouin shepherds uh, shepherded sheep and he documented everything and he's grown up around it and it's fascinating. You will look at passages that Jesus spoke about or David wrote about and you'll never see them again the same. Uh, you'll see insights that you did not know and I trust me these are guys that studied the Bible 30, 40 years like why well, I didn't never, never knew that I never knew that. So Wednesday night we'll be showing that I think it'll be a blessing And uh, I think it'll, uh, as you read about Jesus being the good shepherd, and you uh, just hear this, even coming into uh, Easter season and all those things, I think it'll really be a blessing. So we'll discuss a little bit of it at the end. And we'll be done about 7.40, 7.45, which is our normal Wednesday night. Usually we start at 7.30, and we're done at uh, 7.40, 7.45. And uh, so this Wednesday, a little bit earlier, we'll serve the food at 6.15, but you can get here as early as 6 and uh, find a place. So I uh, hope you'll come out and join us on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday at 6.15, six, 6 o'clock thereabouts. I wanted to read something real quick. Um, I had, as you guys know, uh, and many of you joined us, uh, I stayed off of Facebook and off of social media almost all of January, uh, didn't really kind of even, I think I shared the first thing yesterday for the first time in weeks, and that was for me um, this uh, Note that uh, Pastor Mike McIntosh from uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship out in California. Uh, Pastor Mike founded Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, and uh, his son is now the pastor there. He's retired from pastoring, but he's now doing evangelistic work. He's going all over the world, missions trips, uh, just speaking to the body of Christ, and just he's really uh, just has a burden that we we've been praying for revival, repentance, and so. Uh, this is what Pastor Mike, he doesn't post often because he's very busy, uh, but he said, I apologize, I don't have a staff or budget but I, uh, to post all day every day, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, but many of you are spiritually in tune, please keep praying. In the first 25 days of this year, I've spoken eight times on the radio, reaching large audiences, uh, 10 times at churches, driven through California and Arizona for our Wake Up America 2023. Uh, is simply me speaking to our fellow countrymen Pastor Holland Davis is helping me leading worship, holding up my arms in prayer. Your prayers led to four older men in Jesus, uh, Four older men coming to Jesus in Arizona. Last Wednesday in Romaland, California, four men accepted Jesus. Many men and women were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two former prostitutes from Cambodia shared testimony how Jesus has saved their sins and now they love him. One lifted up her arm and showed that she was tortured. Her hand was, uh, and wrist was chopped off. She gave glory to Jesus for her faith. Wake up, America. Uh, one young woman with three children drove several miles to the Revelation study. She told me she would drive every week to learn with her children and to pray. Sacrifice all you mommies would understand. I prayed with a gangbanger who was humbled, and the Holy Spirit came upon him with power. His muscles began to twitch, and he let go and let Jesus. Holland led us in sweet music. I looked over at that man who was wiping tears with his coat sleeve. Uh, Each week it's close to four hours of driving, but the group is alive and hungry for the word, the same spirit that in 1974 when I drove over 200 miles a week to San Diego. Sacrifice brings heaven down through Jesus Christ. Wake up, Christians. So, uh, yeah, isn't that great? I'm going to give my phone back and get rid of this go. That's my ear cord is tied up in here. Anyway, so uh, I wanted to read that before we pray for revival because Pastor Mike is really, you know, one of those uh, few people that is like living, breathing, praying on his knees that God would bring repentance. And, and he left, he walked away from a huge church that he was pastoring, a, a very vibrant ministry to say, no, no, uh, our country needs to repent and turn back. And he lives in California where uh, it's even fading faster in some respects, parts of California. But it's not really just, you know, everyone's the same. I mean, whether you're Virginia, California, Paris, France, it doesn't matter. Souls need Jesus. And so uh, our nation's very hard-hearted. But, uh, but yet, um, like he said, he was part of that movement in the early 70s. He came to faith when Pastor Chuck saw all these Hippies come to Christ, and we got this movie coming out, the Jesus Revolution, that Pastor Greg Laurie has put together. And Greg and Mike have known each other for years, and uh, we might even have a special night or two where our church, if you want to all go together, uh, you know we're we're one of two Calvary chapels in the city, uh, um, Mechanicsville on the other side of town. Uh, But you know, Mike was one of those that hippies that came to Christ, and in the middle of all that free love, which wasn't free, and dropping acid, and all these different things, and people hooked on drugs, thousands, in fact, millions came to faith in Christ. And maybe just now, in the midst of our country and all of our uh, sexual immorality and confusion about gender and marriage and uh, just, you know, addictions and homelessness and shootings and police beatings and all the other things that we see that break our hearts, maybe, just maybe, we could see a bunch of people come to Jesus In our lifetime, amen. Amen. And what you know, he's seeing there in Arizona and California, which you're not going to see on the news. uh, God is stirring, and that's what we've been praying for here. And I pray that we continue to keep that in prayer. We'll be praying this morning for the nation of Panama, uh, and uh, we have a lot of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that are in that little country. That uh, good work has been established there, but they need uh, revival just like we do. So, if you're visiting, we've been doing this for. Ever since the pandemic started, we've been praying for revival for over uh, 12, 13 years or so, but um, ever since the pandemic, we started getting on our knees, humbling ourselves before the Lord, and the second service is much harder, it's, it's quite tight in here, in the early service, they have all the room they want, uh, but you guys don't, and if you have bad knees, or you just can't do that, just stay seated and pray with us, but we take about 45 seconds of silence, if you're able to get on your knees, please do so. And then we'll just go silently before the Lord, humble ourselves before the God who can bring repentance and bring salvation. Um, And just what he's doing there in California, we had baptized four people last week. We hope to see many more come to Christ this year. And those of you that know Christ, we pray that you would grow in Christ this coming year. So let's just pray together. Father, your word tells us to be still and know that you are God. Lord, sometimes it's good just to be still and remember your holiness, your righteousness, your power, your authority, Lord, your grace and your mercy. And we humbly bow ourselves only because of your mercy, Lord. It's only because of your mercy we even have a breath to breathe. It's only because of your mercy, Lord, that our hearts are beating. It's only because of your mercy and grace that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light if we've been saved and born again. And every person here, or that's come to know you, it's because you found us, not that we found you. And, Lord, we thank you for these souls that have recently been saved in California and Arizona, even the four we baptized last Sunday, Lord, that have come to know you as Lord and Savior. We know that you are the one that finds the lost sheep. And, Lord, we have a nation full of millions of lost sheep, just as we once were, And Lord, it doesn't matter what their sin of choice is or even what they're addicted to or bound to. Lord, you can cast out spirits. You can heal. You can save to the uttermost, as your word says. And Lord, we pray that you'd open the eyes of our nation that's in darkness. We pray that you'd awaken the church, that as Pastor Mike said, that the church and the Christians would wake up. Even in this church, Lord, anyone that's lukewarm would just fully surrender to you. We pray that uh, you would heal marriages and you would heal people's addictions and you would... Uh, heal physically, too, Lord. We need, we need physical healings here as well. We pray for repentance in the highest offices of the land, to the lowest that nobody knows their name. Lord, we pray for our neighbors, friends, co-workers, family members we've been praying for, that this would be the month, this would be the year that they call upon the name of the Lord. We pray for the nation of Panama. We thank you for what you're doing there already. We thank you for the souls that are saved. We pray even for Panamanians that come across the border into our country that we receive them with love and they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that you'd uh, just pour out your spirit on the the churches that are there, that are planted there, that there would be revival and repentance in that nation. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the planet, Lord, that you would redeem them out of uh, their fiery trials, Lord, and that you would heal them, give them the grace and strength to persevere, let them know that they're loved and being prayed for, and Lord, lift them up. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How's everybody's knees doing? All right. It's not the most comfortable floor, I totally admit it, but uh, it's what God's asked us to keep doing and we'll continue to do it. Turn with me to John chapter 19 if you are uh, visiting or relatively new. We're in the study of the book of John. We will be wrapping up um, John chapter 19 next Sunday. That'll be the last portion of this chapter. We'll get almost all the way through, um, or near the end of it today, and then next week we'll finish the 19th chapter, and then uh, we have chapter 20 and chapter 21, and we'll finally be finished with this Only Believe series, but um, uh, we're coming to the most critical aspect of all of Scripture and the most critical aspect of our salvation, and that is the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus, which comes just after that. Uh, so, so important. Pick it up with where we left off. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and we can put one in your hand. If anyone needs one, I, see, I think I see a hand over here, but um, we can put one in your hand. We'll be picking it up with verse 17, John chapter 19, starting verse 17. I'm not going to read the whole portion. I'll just read uh, the first half, and then we'll read the second half a little bit later in the study. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place... Of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one place. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Those it shall be, um, For it, let's cast lots for it, those whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the help of your spirit, the illumination of your spirit, the wisdom and understanding and leading and guiding of your spirit. I ask for the anointing of, of your spirit, Lord, remove anything, even from my preparation, that isn't what you want, shared. Remove every distraction, Lord, from this room. Lord, remove the enemy from sowing any seeds of doubt. And Lord, we pray that we would have soft, receptive hearts. And Lord, you'd just fill this place with your presence. You'd be glorified in this great sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Lord, we'd understand it more, appreciate it more, and grow in your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Pilate, reluctantly but conclusively, and I would add cowardly, sent Jesus to the cruelty of the cross. Caiaphas, the scribes and the Pharisees, along with the screaming crowds demanding Jesus' crucifixion, are filled with rage and an evil satisfaction that their demand has been met with Pilate's approval. But Jesus was walking intentionally, willingly, and sacrificially to the very death the crowds and the authorities were demanding. And he's moving towards the place of his crucifixion in love with love in his eyes towards the very people that are jeering and sneering into every face that is mocking and reviling him. He's looking into their eyes with love. Well, you and I aren't able to do that, are we? People jeering and sneering at us like, we jeer and sneer, in our hearts at least. But the fact that Jesus is walking it all, given the intensity of the pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane, the long night of his interrogations and accusations before Annas and before Caiaphas, the continual interrogations before Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate, beaten, his beard ripped out, mocked, scourged, his back torn, his bow embedded with these thorns that are about yea long. Any one of those would have left, would have left most of us laid out on the ground, wouldn't it? if not dead, collapsed on the ground. Yet Jesus continues forward in this divine determination. Don't you want God to give you a divine determination? In this divine determination to give his perfect and sinless life as the only ransom. Let me say it again. The only ransom the Father would accept for the sins of the world And the reversal of the curse of sin and death. The only ransom. This has to be it. This is it. This was it. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. The trial and triumph of the cross. Jesus paid it all. You love that hymn? Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Not some to him we owe. All to him we owe. Go back to verse 17 here. And he bearing his cross went out to the place the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. As Jesus leaves the praetorium, he heads towards Calvary, which is also known as Golgotha. In the Hebrew, it's Golgotha. So uh, Calvary and Golgotha are synonyms. We can change our name to Calvary Chapel or Golgotha Chapel. Let me say that. We can do that because they're synonyms. It's like Manhattan, Big Apple, New York. You know that all three of those are the same place, right? Mm-hmm. Calvary, Golgotha, same place. So we can rightfully say Golgotha Chapel, if you want. That's the Hebrew rendering. It's the place of the skull. When I was, uh, first time in Israel, I took this picture. And then the second time, uh, this was one that when we went back in 2019. Uh, and you can see uh, the inset. The smaller picture is the picture I zoomed in on and then I blew it up in the larger picture. It's a a black and white, obviously, because it's way back in the early 1900s that picture was taken. Uh, But you can see the circle uh, in the embedded rock there that kind of looks like a skull. Uh, This is facing east from the garden tomb. If we go back to Israel, for example, if we go back in 2024, which we would like to, uh, the garden tomb, which is just north of Jerusalem's northern wall, uh, you got the Damascus Gate that leads out of the city right there, and you don't go too far before you get to the Garden Tomb. And you can see that before there, before uh, now, a bus depot. You can see the top of a bus right here. The bus depot's right here now. All this is a bus depot owned by the Palestinians, and they built tombs up here. And there's a minaret, uh, 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 Islamic minaret, as well. Uh, but you can see where before there was no. Bus depot and all that right there, early 1900s. It kind of looked unchanged for a couple thousand years, other than maybe that building built there. But uh, at the foreground of this rocky cliff, you have this ancient road that would go uh, away from the city. And this is a, a public area where there were crucifixions, we know, uh, in the area, uh, but we don't know for certain if the Jesus was crucified in this area. We do know that it was notable that um, you know, historians noticed that this crop, rock formation, and it just comes out of the city and Jesus was led out of the city and the garden tomb. If you go there, you get a chance to see why it all makes a lot of sense. Well, I personally believe that's the area, but we don't know definitively. Regardless, what we do know is Jesus, as he is coming out of Jerusalem, he's exhausted. He's dehydrated. He's riffing in pain. He's bearing his own cross on a dirt road much like that right there, if not that road itself. And again, there's people that think other parts of this, uh, that's fine. I mean, there's other, uh, you know, people think other spots is where it might have been. But anyway, on a road just like that, he's carrying his cross. The public procession of carrying a cross instead of just kind of uh, them taking him there, but he had to carry his own cross. and There was a procession with the soldiers. It was to draw attention to the condemned. And to strike terror into the hearts of anyone that would defy Rome for certain crimes that they said are punishable by not just death, but crucifixion. And it was typical that those that the Romans condemned to crucifixion would carry the cross beam, the, the one part of the cross, not the actual part that's driven into the ground, but they'd carry the cross beam, which would be attached to the upbeam, the upright beam, before nailing them to the cross. It's possible, though, that Jesus was dragging the entire cross. That did happen on a few occasions, but we don't know. Most often it was just the beam. We do have a foreshadow of this in the Old Testament. Do you remember when Isaac and Abraham went up to Mount Moriah? Who carried the wood? Isaac, Isaac did. Isaac carried the wood, and it was this same mountain, Mount Zion. or Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is. Jesus is condemned. He comes out away from Mount Moriah, And he is typifying with Isaac. He's carrying the wood. But instead of Isaac at the last second being spared, Jesus is not going to be spared. He's going to go all the way to the death. We know from Matthew's gospel that a man named Simon of Cyrene is coming the opposite direction into the city, and the Roman soldiers grab him and say, You carry his cross. Jesus begins to fall under the weight of the cross, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 27. Now as they came out, they were coming out, Simon and Cyrene's coming towards the city. Simon, by name, they compelled him to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull. Matthew records the same thing, place of the skull. Of course, if there's a lot of death there, not only does the rock formation potentially look like a skull, if that's the place, but you also would have a lot of skulls there because many people are dying. They would just leave the bodies out for the uh, birds and the beasts to eat them, and they would just rot away. Let's go back to verse 18. When they had crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus at the center. After Jesus and Simon, who Simon takes the cross from Jesus, and Jesus is probably walking beside him, they come to the designated place. Simon delivers the cross to its location. Jesus is immediately... Nailed to the cross, the Roman soldiers driving the stakes into him. Crucifixion was the absolute worst form of death and execution at that time, and one of the worst forms of execution the world has ever seen. You get a real idea of how sinful and wicked people are, that we could even create such a thing. I mean, it's mankind. Say, I didn't create it. Well, someone like us did. In other words, a human being like us came up with this, and they come up with a torture things that we've seen down through the ages. But the Romans preferred this vicious method as a deterrent to anyone that would challenge Roman authority. Though crucifixion was actually reserved for non-Roman citizens. Did you guys know that? Non-Roman citizens got crucifixion if it was death. Crucifixion was so awful, so horrific, and humiliating that the majority of Roman citizens never talked about it in public, even though they saw many of them, even though the empire was littered with them. Cicero, a statesman at that time and a philosopher, among other things, he said, it is a crime to bind a Roman citizen, to scourge him as an act of wickedness, which they had just done to Jesus. Imagine if it's an act of wickedness in his mind to scourge a Roman citizen. It's infinitely wicked to scourge the Son of God. To execute him is almost murder. Of course, executing Jesus was murder. What shall I say of crucifying? He's talking about just if this happened to a Roman citizen. An act so abominable, it is impossible to find any word to adequately express. This is someone of a contemporary that saw it. Said, it's so abominable you can't even discuss it can't even ponder it. But this was the death Jesus was willing to submit to and came willingly to submit to. This was the form of death that demonstrated to all of us on some level, I hope this makes sense, the, the brutality of the cross helps us understand how vile sin is. Amen? Amen. It, that's the picture. That It's so grotesque. God's saying, that's how your sin looks Amen. to me. It's how vile sin really is. We have a country that just kind of mocks at sin. I mean, Las Vegas has TV commercials that might be in today's uh, NFL games where they'll advertise as Sin City. Sin City got Jesus murdered. Not just murdered, but tortured. And all the sins. But as hideous as death by crucifixion is, sin is even more hideous to God. Now, I know that crucifying people is a part of the sin nature, and it's a part of sin. But all sin is even more vile to God than crucifixion itself. And yet, Jesus was taking both upon himself, the grotesque brutality of the cross, and trillions upon trillions upon trillions of sins, all at the same time. The horror and the brutality of the cross and the filth of all the sins and all the rebellion of mankind all on Jesus at the same time. It's a, kind of like the universe piling onto the pin of a needle. All on him. It really is beyond our comprehension. For me, I feel like a two-year-old trying to ponder trigonometry when I think about it, and all of us, because we can read it, but we really can't grasp it, can we? We really can't. Not if you t- take time to meditate on it, like, how does everything fit on Jesus like that? How, how does he bear under all of that? It's been well noted that down through the centuries, that uh, you know, commentators, pastors, theologians have all noticed that the writers of the Gospels, they, none of them go into the heart-wrenching and appalling details of the cross. You ever notice that? They write about it, but they don't write about all the horrific details and what a crucifixion entailed. We know about how horrific it is because of historical writings, archaeological findings, medical and scientific research. But John and the writers don't give all the details, and I'm glad I don't have to go through them all up here. Amen? If you want to go research them all, have at it. I've done it, and it leaves me like wiped out, so I can't do it up here. But... They could have told everything because they saw it all, but they don't. And many Bible scholars have wondered why don't they go into all the details, and most have surmised for two primary reasons why they don't get into all the gory details that Hollywood loves to show for every other kind of movie which is just gratuitous violence. Whereas this was the most violent thing that ever happened to an innocent man, and the writers don't go into that detail because God is about you getting saved, not about you experience every little detail that Jesus experienced. He did that for us. Amen? Amen. And by the way, God's not the author of fear. Hollywood loves all that stuff to make people even more anxious, more afraid, more this, more that, more focused on garbage. But the two two primary reasons why some have surmised that uh, the writers don't go into deep detail. Number one, first and second century readers were 100% familiar with crucifixion. They needed no other description. They were already in horror of it. Amen? So it was writing to the immediate audience. They, they didn't need any details. Number two, and the more important one probably for us today, the suffering of Jesus in his spirit was even more intense than the outward physical, which is hard for us to ponder. Amen? Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that inward That's hard for us to fathom. But as Jesus was uh, raised up and he was hoisted up there in, in in verse 18, as Jesus is raised up, we know John says it. We know the other writers all verify it. Jesus is placed and crucified with two men on either side of him. You guys all know that, right? You always see the three crosses in images. We know that the two men on either side of him were convicted thieves, robbers specifically, which denotes one who uses violence and force to take from someone else. Mere thieves were rarely crucified. And aren't you glad about that? I mean, all of us have stolen something in our life, but not all of us have murdered someone, right? Right. I remember the first time I stole something, I was like five. No one knew. I just kind of took it, put it in my pocket. Thankfully, I didn't become a life of crime after that or anything like that. But I'm just saying that mere thieves were not... Hardly ever crucified, even under Rome. I mean, uh, there was punishment for you know, stolen things. And, and you and I would agree with that. If someone stole a car, we don't think they should be executed. We think they should pay restitution, but that, that, that's not something that should be... In the Bible, God was a just God, and there was different punishments meted out for the crime. So thieves were rarely crucified, but we know that Barabbas had led a murderous rebellion barabbas was actually we know definitively was a murderer and no doubt he had accomplices and some surmise that the two crucified on either side of jesus may have been his cohorts he got off scot-free and jesus gets crucified instead of him but his cohorts likely got crucified with jesus that day now we don't know 100 percent sure about that but uh, i think it's a, it's, it's a pretty good possibility We know this, that at the outset, on both sides, neither one of them started off believing in Jesus. Matter of fact, they both said, if you're really the Son of God, get us all down from here. Which was uh, mocking him, but also challenging him. But later, you guys, most of you know this, unless you're brand new to the scriptures. Later, we know one of the two comes to his senses. Amen? Amen. One of the two starts to think the way he talked the way he looks in love, the way he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. One of them starts to think, I think this really might be God's son. I'm not sure why he would be allowed to go through this because he wouldn't understand it anymore than anyone else there understood Even the disciples couldn't understand it. Mary couldn't understand it. No one could understand it. But he starts to think, I think he might just be the son of God. And at some point, he comes so much to his senses that he goes ahead and blurts out, Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom. Changes his mind. He said, we actually do. he even tells the other one, we actually deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. We did things deserving of this. Jesus does more than just remember him. Jesus says way better than that. You guys are familiar with Luke 23:43 and Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you today you will be with me. And paradise, your worst day is going to be your best day on the same day. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. You're dying one of the most torturous deaths that humankind ever, and Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You, you want me to remember you? I'm going to be more than remember you. I'm going to rescue you yeah. and take you with me. Even in Jesus' anguish, even as he's writhing in pain, even as he's bleeding every drop of blood that he has, here he is focused on this humble soul and saying, I will take you just as you are. Alfred Plummer, British pastor, theologian, said the whole of humanity was represented there in the three, the two thieves and Jesus, the sinless Savior the saved penitent and the condemned impenitent. Remember, Notice that John says, and Jesus at the center. We sing a song, Jesus at the center of it all. You know that one? Yeah. Jesus really is at the center. Everyone is on one side of him, either the I believe in him and have been saved side or the I don't believe and still lost side. And it was a picture of the whole world. Everyone is on either side of Jesus And he's the dividing line between eternal life and eternal death. What a picture, isn't it? Jesus, the dividing line between lost and found, saved and not saved, repentant and unrepentant. He's the dividing line right in the middle. Everyone has to make a choice, don't they? Both thieves had a choice to either believe and trust in Jesus or not to believe and trust in Jesus. And you meet people all the time, well, I'll take my chances. They don't know if they're going to die on I-95. They don't know if they'll be the one that has a heart attack. They don't know if they'll be the one that uh, gets COVID and it's way worse than it is for most everybody else. They don't have any clue. But these two men knew they were dying, and they still had to make a choice. Amen. Both of them knew. Verse 19 through 22, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews... I won't go read the rest, but you know what happens. uh, It gets put there above him in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. um, Pilate had made his decision reluctantly, as we've already talked about. He was convinced Jesus was innocent, but he had not chosen to trust in Jesus. Instead, Pilate chose his Roman position. He chose his possessions. He chose his political relationship. He chose this world. And so he went ahead and condemned an an unjust condemnation. He let an innocent man be not just killed, but tortured to death, all to hold on to what he had and his political power and the arrangements he had with Caiaphas and everything else. But he still angered that he was forced into a decision he didn't want to be part of in the first place. He tried to give it to Herod. Herod sent him back. He's still bothered by the whole thing. That's why he says, what I wrote, I wrote. Because mm-hmm. he is the one that instructs. He said, I want it in Greek. I want it in Hebrew. I want it in Latin. Jesus of Nazareth, all capital letters, King of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And this infuriated the high priest Caiaphas. Matthew tells us that Pilate already knew that Jesus, in the very first time he was handed over, Pilate knew it was because of envy. He knew they envied Jesus. He didn't share their religion, but he could see the envy. But it was customary that anyone that was crucified, the name of the person and their crime was put above them. It doesn't say Jesus, the son of Joseph. It says Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because he's God's son. He's really not even Joseph's son. You notice that God, even in the province of God, is just Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't have an earthly father. Everybody else would be their name, Tim, son of Bob. We both have boring names, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> the way it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, that, you, know you get got really boring names. But anyway, it just says, Jesus of Nazareth. But then underneath was the crime, but his crime was his title, King of the Jews, the priests try and convince Pilate to change the inscription, but Pilate refuses. I've, what I've written, I've written. I'm not changing it. What he does is he kind of pokes them in the eye with this. He's your ruler. This is your ruler. This is your king of the Jews. Jesus, Another. He's your king. Just as when Caiaphas had prophesied that it was expedient that one man should die for the people, Caiaphas also fulfills by the title something that's true. He is king of the Jews, he is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's also king of kings. Amen? Amen. I mean, it's just a portion of his total, But he came first to the household of Israel. That's why king of the Jews was there instead of king of kings. King of kings is his name coming back for everybody. But he first came first to the household of Israel, first to fulfill what Isaac did going up on Mount Moriah. The three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, they represent those that are under the law, those that believe themselves to be wise, and those that are under the iron fist of the Roman Empire, which is essentially the whole world. Everyone that thinks they're smart, everyone that thinks they're really religious, and everyone thinks that I just kind of got to do whatever I got to do to get by through life. The whole world is spoken to. Uh, he's dying for not just Israel, but for the world. That's why it's not only in Hebrew. Then comes the Roman soldiers in verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Therefore they, uh, they said among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments for them, And for my clothing they cast lots. The soldiers during this time, at least up until this time, with Jesus uh, nailed to the cross in unimaginable suffering, unimaginable pain with the entire weight of the universe upon his spirit, during this whole time these Roman soldiers who had beaten him, pulled out his beard, drove the crown and drove the nails in, they've mocked him, they've tortured him, and then they finally hoisted him up on the cross. They don't show even an ounce of pity. Just hard as a rock. Uh, their heart, about as much as this pulpit, just a, a piece of wood or stone. Hard as a rock, no pity whatsoever. And rather than any pity, they look at his garments and they divide it into four pieces. This piece you get, this, so it indicates there's probably four soldiers involved right here at the foot of the cross. Uh, you get this one, you get this piece, you get this piece. And then they get, lastly, to the tunic, which was one woven piece. It w- there was no seam in it, which is really fascinating because um, we're told in Exodus 28 that the high priest has to wear a seamless garment. And Jesus is there. He's gone to the cross as the lamb, king above his head, and a seamless garment which he had to take off. He went there as the high priest as well. But they have no compassion, no pity whatsoever. They, maybe, maybe they'll make a little profit, and the winner gets the seamless garment, the tunic. Uh, but while the creator of the world, and the only hope for these soldiers, and the only hope for anyone else's soul, uh, is suffering right above them, they're carelessly entertaining themselves at his feet, casting lots for the last piece the seamless garment which fulfills as you see in your some of your bibles maybe in italics they divided my garments which is a reference where david wrote this in psalm chapter 22 so jesus fulfills yet another prophecy each time john will reference if there's a prophecy fulfilled another one john i mean these maybe these verses as john's standing there he's seeing them come to life he's like hold on i just see them casting lots where have i read that Where have I read that? It's in Psalms. It's just before the 23rd Psalm, which is the good shepherd. The 22nd Psalm is they pierced him and they cast lots for him. So we don't know when John realized this. Maybe it was sometime later. Maybe it was right there at the spot. Let's pick up and read the rest of it. that will bring us to uh, the end of our portion this morning. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple, verse 26, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. We know he was dehydrated, now a vessel full of Sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Amen. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus is the only one that can actually choose when to let the spirit release from the body. The rest of us, we can even try. I mean, people have tried suicide and still not died, right? I mean, all, Jesus is the one... There's to, total control over mind, body, and spirit, and he gives up his spirit there. We've already touched on Jesus' compassion for the thief on the cross that felt um, shame for first mocking Jesus, but then comes to his senses and, and sees his own sinfulness, and then he receives that direct assurance from Jesus that he's not going to be condemned, but later that very day he will be with Jesus in paradise. We already saw Jesus show that love and compassion, turning his attention from his suffering to the man on the cross. And by the way, I told the first service this, and now Jesus is going to turn his attention to Mary. The fact that Jesus, in the middle of the most excruciating suffering, which is worse than anything any of us all combined could ever even remotely even ponder, much less actually go through, it tells us if Jesus in his worst of suffering looks over and cares about someone else's suffering, whatever you're going through right now, and many of you might be going through some suffering, you still, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God wants you to look past your own suffering and minister to other people that are suffering. Amen. You might say, but I'm going through a lot. They are too. Amen. But if anyone knew what I'm going through, they are too. If you knew what they were going through, and what happens is if you're going through something... And you say, well, Jesus cared about his mother and the thief on the cross in the midst of his suffering. Maybe I should send a note to someone who's suffering and say, in the middle of my own, I was thinking about you. That's the heart of Jesus. Just something for us to learn as we continue to grow in our walk with the Lord. But here he now turns his attention to Mary. Mary's his earthly mother. Above his head, it doesn't say, Jesus, the son of Joseph. And for all intents and purposes... You know, God could have sent His Son without Mary's involvement at all. We all understand that, right? Jesus could have shown up fully grown, but in God's economy, He had to be born of a woman. She couldn't have a relationship with a man. He's born there in Bethlehem. She is His earthly mother. She's not. She's not any more special than all the rest of us to God. Though she did have a special role, just like Moses did, just like Daniel did, just like Noah did, just like Paul did. She had a very special role, but. She still was his earthly mother. She still held him as a baby. She still held him as a toddler. She still took him to uh, whatever it was, school or learning or whatever it may have been. And there his mother is at the foot of the cross and she's there with her sister and then she's with Mary Magdalene. So you've got Mary, Mary's sister, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. So we know that from Mark's gospel. John the apostle is there with them and uh, he's, pro- he's apparently the only disciple to be this close to the cross. It's, it's likely the other disciples watch from a distance, but not John. He was kind of like, if this was the cross, he was like right up there with these women. Just, just maybe the soldiers, then them. Just kind of like that arrangement. So John is the one disciple that we know is the closest to the cross. He's with Mary, because Jesus has, has the two of them look at each other here, so we know they're all there together. Now, it's hard for us to imagine how Mary felt watching Jesus suffer and be tortured on the cross. I'm a dad with three daughters. My mom gave, uh, my, my, well, my mom gave birth to me, but my wife, uh, <laughs> did you guys know that? Anyway, uh, it's a, quite a revelation, but anyway, um, but my wife gave birth to our three daughters, and There's things that she can relate to giving birth to them that I can't relate to. Mm -hmm. There's things that she can say. And I can do my best to try and put myself in the understanding, but there's only so far I can go with it. And Mary gave birth to Jesus. She held him and said she pondered these things way back there in Bethlehem. She pondered these things in her heart. It's hard for us to understand uh, what she was going through. She, uh, She and Joseph, 33 years earlier, as you guys may recall, we covered this in the Christmas season, uh, they had taken baby Jesus into the temple. First week of his life, and he was taken up in the arms of Simeon, and, and who prophesied, and I put it up on the screen in Luke, in Luke 2.35, yes, a sword, this was speaking to her, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, that's her soul, that the thoughts and hearts of many may be revealed. Now, that's the wider work that Jesus was going to do. And boy, our hearts being revealed. Caiaphas, evil. Pilate, evil. Judas, betrayal. John, he loves his Savior. Mary Magdalene, you cast seven demons out of me. Why would I not be at the cross? So hearts are being revealed, but Mary has like a sword going through her soul. Can you imagine, ladies, that have given birth, watching your son or daughter tortured to death? Hours and hours of this. People mocking them. People saying, if you're really God, get off the cross. Spitting, jeering. She had to endure all of that. Her soul, no doubt, being pierced by the rejection of Caiaphas and the religious leaders, the very ones that were supposed to uphold the God had turned their back on God. But this dark hour was the complete fulfillment of her soul being pierced, and Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, he turns to his mother. He's in all this pain, and he cares about her condition more than his own condition right now. He turns to her in all this, and her soul had already been saved. She trusted in Jesus just like the rest of us. She had to put her faith and trust in him. Jesus' brothers did, and they so far hadn't but it was necessary for her. Her soul has been saved, but right now her soul is torn in grief. By the way, your soul can be saved and be torn in grief at times. Amen? You can be saved and still have your soul sometimes torn up in grief. And seeing Jesus hated and and hated upon and all of this. uh, Now, we know, because we have the end of the story, he's going to rise three days later, right? Right, right? They don't know that at this time. They can't figure out why God would allow this to happen, why God would allow this to happen to their rabbi, to their teacher. But now we know he's going to rise three days later and he'll be right back to being the son and the risen son that she's never even seen the kind of power he's going to be raised up in. But we also know... That after the three days of the resurrection, he's only going to stay on the earth for 40 more days before he's going to go back to the Father. So he's 43 days away from going back to his throne in heaven. So that means Mary's going to be stuck on earth, and John's still going to be stuck here on earth. And Jesus, here in his agony, he tells John, who's the youngest of the apostles, probably 17 at this time, around 17, 18, he's going to be to live the longest, probably to 100. He says, Behold your mother. John's not her son. John is Jesus' disciple. And she's gotten to know John because of Jesus. Jesus has gotten all of his disciples to know his mother. This is my mother. She now knows him. Now, some of you moms that have, your kids have best friends. Some of the best friends of your kids are kind of like sons to you now or kind of like daughters to you. And she would have known John really well by then. But Jesus says, woman, this is your son. Son, this is now your mother. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't give any details other than that. This is your son. This is your mother. He can't speak much. It's hard to even say things in this time. It's hard to even get the oxygen to say anything. But John gets it. John takes that little bit of information and he realizes, I got it. I'll take care of her till, till the day she dies. Mm-hmm. That's all he needed to know. John fills in all the blanks. And by the side, can Jesus whisper something to you and you see the larger picture sometimes? Or do you have to say, well, if you don't give me the full details. Don't you love when your kids, you can say one word and they know you mean, I don't have time to text you the entire thing. Can you not infer? And John does. He says, I, I know what that means. It means that I have the same responsibility for her as if I was her born son. And so if she's destitute, I'll take care of her. Great, isn't it? Just after this, Jesus, knowing that everything had been completed, he says, I thirst. He knows that everything's now been completed that the Father ordained. Everything had to follow the will of the Father, not thy will, thy will be done, as he prayed in the garden. He had earlier, in the same, and it's not recorded in John's Gospel, but earlier he had refused when they put wine and gall. Which would have numbed the pain. At the beginning, they would give some crucifixion um, victims, they could drink this mixture and it would have alcohol and it would numb some of the pain for them. Jesus refused any of the numbing of the pain. What this is, this sour wine, is basically, it would be like an ancient Gatorade that would allow the soldiers to have something that would not, not go bad in, in the heat of the sun or whatever it may be, but there wasn't an alcohol thing. Jesus takes it, most scholars believe, and I agree with that, he took it just to get enough wetness because he was fully, you know, if you're losing all your blood, you were so dehydrated that there's no moisture left, just to get enough moisture on his lips and the back of his throat because he's got to cry out two things to finish this off. Amen? And he's got to build just enough volume for anyone to hear what we're about to read. So he takes this just enough moisture lets it get to the back of his throat for one final proclamation. And you see it in verse 38. When he had received the sour wine, he cried out. Other, other, he says here, he said, but other versions, he cried out, it is finished. And you can imagine the power and authority of him saying, with whatever strength was left, he saved it all for that. It is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. A single word you might have heard it before. tetelestai. He doesn't say it is finished. He cries out, tetelestai. This had two connotations, two connotations, and they're both amazing how they dovetail together. The Greek athlete, as he was finishing, a crossing li- finishing the crossing line of like a marathon or a race, would cry out, "Tatellastai! Finished." The other connotation, which was common in the Roman Empire at that time, is Roman accountants or Roman uh, government officials taking the taxes would stamp on the receipts "tostelusai," which means paid in full. Oh, okay. So you have both at the same time. Think of the runner finishing the course; it is finished. Think of the debt being paid, paid in full. Which does it mean? Both and. Finished course, paid in full. Amen. It has a rich double meaning that we can appreciate both of them. Indeed, Jesus is the Savior crying out in his thirst that he's finished the course and he's paid the debt in full for anyone who's thirsty for salvation. Amen. Amen. And the perfect tense of the Greek here, the perfect tense of the Greek, to indicates the following perfect tense means already finished, now finished, and will remain finished. Isn't that great? It actually has this like a facets of a diamond In this one word Jesus is saying all of this and John is soaking it all in and we'll end up writing about it right here. And it's all because Jesus endured the cross and he endured it for us because of us. Not just for us, but because of us. John R. W. Stott, and we're going to bring it to a close here. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. I was not wearing a gold helmet with the feathers down the center like a Roman soldier. I wasn't wearing the breastplate. I didn't nail Jesus to the cross, and neither did you. We weren't even alive 2,000 years ago. And yet the Bible says we are guilty of putting him there too. Amen? Because we're guilty by association of our same sin condition. Mm-hmm. I wasn't Pilate. I didn't wash my hands of it. I wasn't Judas and sell him with 30 pieces of so, silk. Neither did you. But you're still guilty of our sins put in there. The only thing we contributed, it's been well said, the only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that put him on the cross. That's the only thing we contributed. We didn't contribute any goodness. But our sins plus his suffering equals an eternal rescue. Amen? Amen. Our sins plus his suffering means that he says, I'll, I'll rescue the ones that will cry out to me. Understand that the cross, because of its horrific nature, it would not be used as a symbol for Christians or churches or the arts until much, much later. It wasn't used until everyone that had ever seen a crucifixion had died off. Then it surfaced later on but early church used the, the, the sign of the fish that would be fishers of men that was you'll see that if you go to israel some of the ancient sites where they that was this that was the image but yes there's no question about it the cross was grotesque and yet through the cross jesus was glorified from the grotesque jesus said remember he said i will glorify my father mm-hmm. as he was going to the cross Yes, the cross was torture, but Jesus made it a triumph. Amen? It was torture, but he made it a triumph. And let me close with this. As I said uh, earlier, um, you know, I'm glad I don't have to give all the gory and grotesque details, but I've studied them in advance. They're in, they're in my head without coming out necessarily, but It's hard to preach on, and it's hard for me to think about Jesus on the cross, especially any innocent person suffering, amen? Amen. But not just any person. He's the Son of God, and he suffered for no reason whatsoever. And it's hard to think about what he went through, but I'm so glad and thankful he did it for me and you, amen? I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he went to the cross, but I'm so thankful he's not on the cross anymore. Isn't that great to know? (laughs) Now we have, we have the end of this chapter and we want to reflect. We'll see next week that there is a little more reflection as we're going to look at some things you probably not maybe considered on the burial of Jesus. We'll look at that next week because we'll look at his burial and then we'll, the week after that we'll get to the resurrection. But you know, kind of a spoiler alert, I'm glad that the manger is empty, Amen. the cross is empty, yes. and the tomb is empty. Amen? Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you Jesus, beyond what we can understand, that you went through the unimaginable murder, torture, horrific nature of the cross to take the vileness of our sins, our rebellion, our unbelief on you, and yet you still would offer us the same salvation that you offered the thief on the cross, the same salvation that you Cast seven spirits out of Mary and Magdalene. Lord, you offer that free gift of salvation to anyone who will say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Would you please cleanse me and forgive me? And Father, before we even close in worship and just thanking you at the end of this service, Lord, if there's even one person online or here, that has yet to call upon the name of the Lord. There's just like the two thieves on the cross. They knew they were close to death, but maybe there's someone in this room that doesn't realize they're closer than they think. I pray that even now you'd prick their heart and they would put their faith and trust in you, and they'd call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And with our heads bowed, before we close this service and worship, is there even one person here this morning? It's still well now it's afternoon, but barely. But is there even one person that say, "I've never asked Jesus"? to cleanse me of my sins, and to come in and be my Lord and Savior. But today, I want to receive the same forgiveness that the thief on the cross That I would know that if I die today, I would be with him in heaven, which is what he wants to do for every person here. Is there even one? Raise your hand. I want to just pray with you. If you want to give your heart and life to Christ, say, I, I've put this off. I've put it off way too long. I want to give my heart and life to Christ. Is there even one person that says... I'm not going to wait any longer, I'm going to come to my senses, anyone at all, even maybe one online, although I can't see you, if there is even one, I'm going to pray, you just say it, you've got to believe it in your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, thank you for dying for my sins, Lord, I just confess that I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness, that you'd wash me, that you'd cleanse me, that you'd fill me with your spirit. You'd write my name in the land's book of life, for I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. I ask this in your name. Amen. If anyone did that online, just send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. Or if you're here and you have questions afterwards, we'll have some folks standing up in our prayer corner, which is over there by the little olive tree. Why not you stand as we close in prayer, or we close in worship.